And here we're continuing with a sermon series in the book of Acts called The Mission. And let me, let me just frame it, now that we're more than halfway through it, how it fits in a much bigger picture. As I thought about that question, I settled on seven big chapters to all of history. Three of them are in the Old Testament, three of them are in the New Testament, and then one is pointed to in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we start out with the first chapter, and that's creation. That's God creating something out of nothing. Creating everything out of nothing. Where there was nothing, there became something. And in fact, time began. when he, at the, It was in the beginning that He created Time is really just a series of moments, but it doesn't make any sense unless there's something there. And there was nothing there except for God until the creation. The second chapter would be the fall. The pinnacle of God's creation is humans, men and women, you and I. We are the part of His creation that He selected to be made in His own image. And so we are His image bearers. But when our ancestors sinned against them, sinned against God, they chose, in effect, to be separated from God and that God's image in them was marred, was seriously injured in such a way that that injury, that marring, continues through all their descendants. It became a, 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 what looked to be a permanent marring, that separation from God done by their own choice, by their own volition, an act of their will, where they chose to do something that separated them from God. The third part of the Old Testament, which is the vast majority of it, points towards a Redeemer coming who would fix what had fallen apart and bring, bring redemption to the image bearers of God, restoring that image and bringing things back to the way they, they ought to be. And you find much in the Old Testament just moving towards that. Then in the New Testament, the three chapters in the New Testament, the first one is redemption was provided. We find it described in the four Gospels where God sent His own Son, the second person of the Trinity, to fix what went wrong thousands of years earlier and to make it possible to be reconciled to God and to have a relationship with God, a good relationship with God, that would be unmarred by sin because that sin would be wiped out. So the first part of the New Testament would be the Redeemer comes. The second part would be an invitation to redemption. God so loved the world. And the world is invited in. The church didn't understand that right from the beginning. They thought it was only for, for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But indeed, it's always been there in seed form that others were, were, are, are invited. And so the invitation goes forth. Jesus saying, come, follow me. And then Him sending out His disciples to preach the good news 
of what was available, and then commissioning the church. And we see that commission being carried out in the book of Acts. The invitation extended. Hey, what has, been, what has happened to you can be totally healed and you can be made whole and live in God's image as you were created to be. And then the final part in the New Testament was living it out where disciples are made, disciples who are followers of the Son of God connected to Jesus and connected to the Father and connected to the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one, the triune God. And there's, uh, it, it's basically in two ways, ways to live. There's, there's many instructions on, on godly living in the, New, in the New Testament, particularly in the letters of Paul. And that would be the sixth chapter. Finally, the seventh one, which he just pointed at in the New Testament, would be the consummation of everything, where everything is finally made right permanently. That starts with the second coming of the Son of God. And that is the point at which forever begins. This sermon series focuses on the invitation to redemption and living it out, particularly with a sense of mission. Jesus sent out his disciples and then the church with a mission to proclaim the invitation proclaim the good news of the gospel, the fact that what, got, what we messed up so badly before to our ancestors, that God himself fixed. And that fix is available to anybody who wants it. And so part of our mission is to let that be known to people, that, hey, God really does love you. He just doesn't sit there looking to judge you or you stop you from having fun. But he really, he really deeply cares. And that becomes part of the message, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, last week, Nate, Nate described how uh, the direction of the church changed where it was revealed that this was not just to be, the faith was just not a Jewish sect but rather was open to non-Jews, the Gentiles. There were pointers to that earlier, both in the Old Testament and things that Jesus said, but the church didn't fully understand that part until Peter had a vision, which was described last week. And so the good news for the Gentiles was, you're invited too. That brings us to this week. Following that revelation to the church, it says those that, those that were scattered because of the persecution spoke the word in all kinds of places. When the first martyr, Stephen, was killed, a, a persecution arose against the believers and many of them just scattered, just scattered. I read a book a long time ago, a scholarly book by Michael Green. He identifies the chief reason for the early spread of the church was the word that these believers that were scattered because of persecution, they went out speaking the word and all kinds of people came to know the good news because they had it proclaimed to them. And they grabbed it for themselves and established a relationship with God. These were regular people, just like us, just like you, just like me. And they had to hightail it because the persecution got so bad. And they went out living out their mission 
to the, to the benefit of, of many people. In Antioch, there were many believers. When Barnabas saw that, we talked about Barnabas earlier on, he was a generous man who, who helped convince the apostles that, that a man named Saul, a persecutor of the church, had a genuine conversion. And he, he really did jump from, in a sense, the dark side to the good side. <clears throat> he saw what was going on at the church in Antioch, and he remembered this guy Saul, who turned into a fiery, believe, fiery believer right from the beginning and got some death threats made against them. The church helped him escape uh, more than once and then sent him home to Tarsus. Well, Barnabas went off to Tarsus to go fetch Paul, and he brought him back. And then the scene shifts here in, the, in uh, Acts chapter 11, uh, going into uh, 12, to Peter. Herod the king began to persecute some of the believers, and he arrested some, including James, James the Apostle. Now James was one of the three that were closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John. He arrested James and had him put to death with a sword. He saw that it, it pleased so many people that he arrested Peter, evidently intending to do the same. Now, he may have heard that Peter, sometime earlier, had been arrested and put in prison and had been sprung by an angel. For whatever was going on in his head, he appointed four squads of soldiers to guard Peter. And on the night before he was going to bring Peter out, Peter was sleeping, chained to two of his sentries, and then there were others at the door, and the angel of the Lord comes by and pokes Peter in the side and says, quickly, get up. And Peter awakens, and as he gets up, the chains drop off of him. Then the angel says, uh, get dressed and put on your sandals. You need sandals if you're going to go somewhere. So he does that, and the angel tells him, put on your, put on your cloak and follow me. So he starts following this angel all the time thinking, this is a very realistic-looking vision. And, and, and that's what he was thinking. And they go past, they go past the guards, and then they get, get to the edge of the prison, and the big iron door opens by itself, and he walks through, and the angel disappears. And he realizes this is real life. This isn't just a, a, a very elaborate, realistic dream or vision. He goes, I'm real, I've really been, I'm out of prison. And now the church had been praying fervently for Peter. And in fact, at that time, which I think is in the middle of the night, they had a prayer meeting going. They had a lot of people in attendance. And Peter knew where that was, and he went over there and starts banging on the door. Boom, 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 boom. And starts calling out. And the servant girl, Rhoda, she goes to the door, and she hears Peter's voice. And she gets all excited and rushes back to the prayer meeting. Oh, no, Peter's here. They're like, I, I've been praying for. And they're like, you must be out of your mind. That's just what they told her. He said, no, no, it's really him. They said, yeah, it's his angel. And, but Peter kept knocking and calling out. And they, oh, it really is Peter. They let him in. He describes, describes to them what happens and... And he probably figured the authorities would be after him. And he said, well, I'm going to go tell 
James, James, not that James was killed, but James the Lord's brother, and he left for another place. When Herod found out, and then back at the jail, when morning came, the guards were very perplexed. This guy was so securely contained, and now he was gone without a trace. And word got up to Herod, and he was very upset. He had all of the guards grilled and then executed. Now, this, this Herod was no... He, he was very serious about this whole thing. And he, the, the, then the story continues where he goes out and, and gives an oration, a great speech to some people who wanted his favor. And they're, they're calling out, oh, the voice of a God, not a man. And he, accepts, he accepted that praise, but God was unhappy and, and struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And that was the end of Herod. The mission continues. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So the mission continues. And then this is what happened in Antioch, immediately following this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. These were new orders from God. These prophets and teachers, which evidently had been operating very well in the church at Antioch, which was sizable, God decided He's going to send a couple of them out to go elsewhere. See, here the Holy Holy Spirit initiated and the disciples responded, which should be the way that we operate also operating at God's initiative, responding to God. Rather than making our own plans and asking God to bless them, we should be looking to see what God's plans are and then just get in on on them and participate in them. God calls and we recognize. Then they sailed to Cyprus where a wicked magician was struck blind and evangelism happened. It's an interesting story, but we really have time for it. Then they move on, and Paul gives his first recorded sermon, recorded in Scripture. It has three parts. I'm going to read you the whole, whole sermon. The first part is a kind of a sketch of Old Testament history as it involves the Jewish people. And then the second part would be God's provision in Jesus Christ. And then the third part, the invitation. This is Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. 
And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found, him, found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So he starts by describing how we get to King David. They knew from prophecies that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. Could that be John the Baptist? No. John the Baptist pointed to another. And then he describes what actually happened in Jerusalem. One, the rulers didn't recognize who Jesus was. And number two, they had him executed in fulfillment of the Scriptures that they didn't recognize. And the result was forgiveness of sins and an opportunity for real freedom 
I'm going to read that passage again that addresses that. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. In other words, your slate is wiped clean. No matter what's on your record, not, no matter how long your rap sheet is, short or long, it, it gets wiped out. And it's wiped clean. It's forgiven. That's part one. Part two is, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. See, Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So everyone who sins has entered into slavery. Now some people think, well, I like my slavery. I like my sin. Well, sin is a very, very hard master. And while you may be entertained for a time, it's bitter in the end. It's bitter along the way in many cases. And it is not possible to live well enough according to the law of Moses to be set free from master's sin. The only way to be set free from master's sin is by believing in Jesus Christ. And then... You could be freed from everything, everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. When Jesus came, He came proclaiming the emancipation proclamation of all time. And so that becomes our message too as we spread the good news. The emancipator has come and has proclaimed emancipation. The eternal emancipation proclamation. And as I read before, the people wanted to know more. On the next Sabbath, they wanted them to come back to the synagogue and, and, and speak some more. But opposition also arose. I appreciate Dave Caton's remarks, worship leading, about, about opposition. Our, op, our real opposition is a spiritual opposition. It had nothing to do with politics. In Jesus' own disciples, you had a wide range of political views. All the way from Matthew, the tax collector, who was thoroughly in favor of the Roman government. He worked for them and made a lot of money. To Simon the Zealot. The Zealots advocated violence for a way of throwing off the Romans. These were poor opposites. And yet Jesus got them to get along and and talked about the, the real opposition the real opposition is a spiritual opposition and comes against the proclamation of Jesus Christ and comes against His people. Anyway, opposition also arose to Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas didn't back down and announced they were turning to the Gentiles. This was in the synagogue. You're not interested? There was other people invited. We're going to go to them. The Gentiles rejoiced when they heard that. Yes, we are invited. But the Jews conspired against Paul and Barnabas and got them banished. However, this was the reaction among the disciples. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, even in spite of that opposition. And Paul and Barnabas went to Iconium. There was great fruit in Iconium. Signs and wonders. But it also was very controversial what they were doing. And a, a, a contract, like a mafia contract, a contract was put out on Paul and Barnabas 
But they found out and fled and continued their mission. Their next stop was a city called Lystra, where a great healing occurred. And their approval ratings skyrocketed. A man who had been born lame was healed, was able to walk. And they were just astounded. And their approval ratings went through the roof. You know, approval ratings, you normally have a choice. Disapprove, greatly disapprove, disapprove, neutral, approve, and uh, greatly approve. Well, for these people, it was so far on the approval side, if there was a box, they would check this one. He is a God to me. Now that's approval. And that's exactly what they said. They saw what had happened. They go, only gods can do this. These guys, Paul and Barnabas, they must be gods. And they started preparing a sacrifice, and Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on because they didn't understand their native language. When they realized what it was, unlike Herod, they said, oh, no, 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 we're men just like you. Oh, no, we're, we're not gonna, we don't no sacrifices. We're, no. Only God is deserving of this. And, and they got them restrained. But then Jews came from the last two cities that I talked about. Opposition Jews came and turned the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. So much so that their approval ratings went down through the floor. In fact, on the disapproval side, they checked the box, kill the suckers. That's disapproval. And they thought they had succeeded with Paul. They stoned him. Then he dragged, dragged him out of the city and left him there. He thought he was dead. But this is what happened. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And then the next day he went on to Barnab- with Barnabas to Derby. Now, I don't know if he was dead. People knew what death looked like in those days. And they thought they stoned him and they dragged his body and they, th- they thought he was dead. So, either he was healed from being dead and brought back, or, I mean, he rose up and entered the city. This is a guy who didn't look like he was dead in a short time earlier. Either he was dead and came back, or he was close to death and got healed so much so that he was able to rise up and enter the city and the next day go back on his travels. In any case, quite a miracle. Then they went on, and then they returned to these three cities. A couple more stops, and they returned home with a great report. So what about us? What does all this mean to us? Well, there's at least three lessons here. There's there's many more, but I'm going to propose to you three lessons. Number one, our goal, like their goal, is to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When those two guys were sent out from Antioch, so, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went on. See, it was the church that sent them out, but because it was at the initiation of the Holy Spirit, it was really the Holy Spirit sending them out. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit And that should always be our goal also. And not necessarily going to to cities, but 
being aware of when God wants us to go on a mission for him and maybe describe the gospel to somebody. So be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit because they went moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, don't be afraid of persecution. Jesus talked about being persecuted. He says, you know, don't be surprised. If they hated me, they're going to hate you also. And he actually talked a fair amount about persecution. And sure enough, it happened to these guys. On the return trip through those three cities, this is what happened. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, personally, I would have preferred that that last clause wasn't needed, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But there's opposition. There are problems along the way. And it's unfair of us to, to, to talk like there aren't any. And so these guys, they were strengthening the souls, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that there's, there's many tribulations to be faced. And so we should go through life with the same attitude that this, this is just the way it is. Now God is with us. He's with them. But sometimes that happens in ways that aren't entirely clear. See, God can take care of you like He did Peter. Or He can call you home like it did James. The pay is the same. Number three. In these passages, we find an encouragement to participate in the mission. The whole book of Acts is basically this. We covered it in the first week. But you will receive, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples before he ascended, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so he left, he left giving us a mission a commission to accomplish a mission. And it's described here in another place he talks about making disciples. And that's part of the mission also. See, we're not just talking about a competing belief system with all the other belief systems that are out there. And you could just kind of philosophically talk about this and about that. What we are proclaiming is tied to reality. It's tied to reality. And in Paul's first sermon recorded in the Scriptures, let's just go back to the relevant part. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. See, this, this was, there are witnesses. You don't, you don't believe me? There's people you can talk to. You can talk to people who have personally witnessed this. This is just not an ethereal, abstract belief system in competition with all the other belief systems. This one is tied to reality. And we have witnesses that what we are saying is true. We have the message of eternal life. 
How can we keep it to ourselves? When Barnabas came to Antioch, this is what happened. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I exhort you to do the same. I exhort myself to do the same. To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. You and I, we have a purpose in life. A mission to accomplish. May you and I both fulfill it. In Jesus' name. Please rise. Lord, we thank you that you have called us and we thank you for the opportunity to participate you to, to participate with you in the mission that you've given to us, a mission that you have initiated and that you empower. And Lord, I pray you'd raise our level of consciousness of that mission and give us the grace and courage to accomplish it. Amen.